everybody. It's Rob, National Fire Radio. Very excited tonight to be joined with Jeremy Donch and our guest, Lieutenant Jason Illowit. Uh, Illowit and I know each other uh, quite a bit from our days in Hyattsville, and I'm really excited to have him on the show tonight because he's got an interesting background. Uh, firefighter in Loudoun County, Lieutenant there currently also served in Burtonsville as a live-in uh, up in Montgomery County back in the day. And we crossed paths at the uh, Hyattsville Volunteer Fire Company, or as I like to call it, the Wayward Home for Lost Firemen. But um, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. Man, thanks for having me, fellas. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. This is cool. I uh, is actually, uh, admittedly, during the entire length of COVID, uh, this has been my first Zoom. So I'm um, figuring it out. And uh, excuse this is any- tonight? Like, we- it this is. is- Honor. It is, man. I'm honored. I, yeah. <laughs> I wish, I wish so much that this was my first Zoom. I hate, yeah. I hate using, I mean, it's, it makes life so much simpler because doing this, we'd be able to interview you tonight, you know, without yeah. using Zoom, you know, when we were doing all our studio podcasts, it was uh, trying to get people into New Jersey and local and so on. So this sure. is actually, it's exciting. It's the double-edged sort of Zoom. People rely on it too much now but it also sure. opens the door for us for a lot more possibility. So brother, thank you for being here tonight with us, man. Thanks again, guys. Like cool. I'm, I'm excited. All right, Robert, take it away, man. Let's, let's lead chapter one with this guy or what, what are we doing? Jason. So where, <laughs> how did you, how did you stumble across fire trucks and get into the fire department and the fire service? Oh man. I think like, uh, like I don't, I don't have any, uh, super defining moment, uh, probably, more cliche than anything, you know, like little kids think fire trucks are cool. And, you know, I was no different. Um, I ended up, uh, my, one of my cousins, uh, actually got into the fire department, really the first one in the family. Like I had, um, my aunt is, uh, on the job with, uh, FDNY EMS. Um, <clears throat> and then my cousin got on the job in uh, Delray beach, Florida. Um, so it was always kind of, you know, there was some exposure there and, uh, you know, that coupled with just seeing the fire trucks go down the street, you know, it just seemed like uh, really early on, it seemed like something that would work out well for me. It's a really so. kick-ass thing to do, man. That's it. Plain and simple, right? I mean, that was my, I, that was a huge hook for me. I mean, I, I was fortunate to have it in the family, but I mean, everything I owned was a fire truck, you know, and it just yep. seemed so cool to me as a little kid, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, we could probably all uh, agree, like we just never grew out of that, you know, right. like the 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 shiny red fire truck the sirens the you know just the fact that those dudes are you know would get to wherever they were going and were willing to do whatever they needed to do like i think for some of us well hopefully most of us on the job like that's what stuck around you know so i'm I'm definitely no different in that respect and i i love that because i it makes me think right as we dive into tonight the reason why you're here is because we know you're dialed in and we wanted to capture your story and for me, like, I often think about, like, the hook. We all had the same hook for the most part early on in our career, um, whether career volunteer or whatever, in the fire service. Your love for the fire service, falling in love with it, the shiny trucks, the sirens, the adrenaline of it all, the brotherhood, the camaraderie. And then I wonder, like, how it skews from there. Because I know myself, and I could see it in your face tonight and just meeting you tonight, but I can see it in you that, like, you're still, you still have it. Like, you still enjoy it very much and and i wonder sometimes and this is a conversation for later or another time but you know people split right and and people remain in love and and straight straight as can be with the job and then others kind of veer and and get lost and i just i always wonder how that how that happens you know man i wish i had a good answer for that it's one of the probably one of the the most hot topics around the firehouse kitchen table from time to time is like 
just keeping that love for the job, you know, and you, you see guys like they get 10, 15, 20 years into the job. And uh, it seems like they kind of forgot what made them start in the first place. Um, and I don't know, man, like just uh, like, I can't really speak to, you know, 100% how I'm going to feel in, in 15 years from now, but I could say with pretty good confidence that I'm just never going to feel that way, man. Like it, it still really spins my gears. Like I, I love everything about it, you know, and I just, I don't see how that's going to change for me. Is there a certain part that you like, is there one thing that you love more than the other that like really like to get you tuned up? Uh, I mean, it's, it's probably a, um, a fire department cliche thing to say, so to speak, but I think the unpredictability of it all, you know, like there's, there's just something really unique that we, you know, as, as, as firemen, uh, on the job, get to deal with going to work and not having a single clue what the day is going to bring for us. You know, like a, an accountant can't do that. They're going to go to work and they're going to crunch some numbers and put in the hours and they're going to go home. Um, and I think, you know, for, for those folks, like that's awesome. That makes them happy, but it doesn't work for me and it doesn't work for all of us, you know? So just, just yeah. the fact that man, like you go to work and you know, you, you don't know what you're going to get into. Like the day could bring anything. I think, I think that's what does it for me. So for unpredictability, like what got you to make that unpredictable move of walking into a firehouse and, and getting an application and starting to, to walk the path, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, I think I just had such a draw to it uh, as I started to get a little bit older, you know, I say old respectively, we're, we're talking like 15, 16 years old, um, you know, but I think I, at that point I had such a draw to uh, just really trying to get an understanding of what it was all about that. I couldn't not do it. You know, I had to, I had to go to the local volunteer fire company and I had to at least try, like see what it was all about. Um, and it, you know, it really, it didn't take long at all to, to figure out that's where I needed to be. The hook was, the hook was pretty instant. How huh? you walk through the door and a uh, couple runs out, a couple runs out on the rigs and you're uh, the hook is there. Oh man. Like between the, between the runs and, you know, being a 16 year old kid and, you know, hearing guys bust balls around the, you know, in the kitchen table and, you know, yeah. just in general, I'm like, man, this is a, this is a club, so to speak, that I want to be part of, you know, like these guys have something to teach me. And like, this is, this is a whole lifestyle here that I could, you know, like I want to take on. Um, so yeah, Dude, man, like in that is such a good point. It is a lifestyle. You know, it's not a job. It's a lifestyle. I mean, you do take this on and, and, you know, you, you came up through the volunteers ranks and then you went right over to career and you made it your, your life's work, if you will, to be a career firefighter and to, to be in love with the job. And, and I just, it, it is a lifestyle. I mean, everything outside of the firehouse in my life really revolves still around something of the fire service, right? I mean, Absolutely. you know, starting national fire radio, but also, you know, buffing fires, driving past the firehouse when you're on vacation with your family, like yeah. oh, there goes an yeah. engine, you know, like yeah. all that stuff. But I, I think that the, the people that are dialed in get that. I mean, it really is yeah. that lifestyle, Jason, a good hit, man. Yeah, I wrote it, and like as a as a side note, like uh, you, like I wouldn't ask my uh, my wife what she thinks about it being a lifestyle. She might right, have a little right, bit, right, right. 100%. might have a little bit of a different response for uh, for you, but no, like totally agree, man. Uh, how about your kids sitting in the back seat of the car and they go, oh, "Dad, another firehouse, huh? <laughs> Exciting, right? Oh, oh man, red we were, fire truck, right? Yeah, yeah. We're oh, yeah, dude, we were uh, <laughs> the whole family. Like we were. We were out walking around downtown Frederick, Maryland the other day, like super nice day. Like everyone's out, you know, at the restaurants and whatever. And the the, the city firehouse down the street took in a run for, uh, you know, one overturned, a vehicle overturned right down the street. And man, like they came, you know, the engine and the rescue company, like they came screaming down the block. And like, you know, I'm, I'm 
10 times more pumped up than probably anybody else, you know, just looking like a complete buffoon. But yeah, man, like it's just, it, it never goes away. You but know? that, yeah. And that just circles right back to the original part of this conversation is that was your draw from a young age. And, and, totally. and I, I was talking about this the other day on a, on another podcast. And I said, you know, I said, I still love the excitement, the euphoria of it and, and everything that goes with that. And I think that even today, I mean, you know, you refine your excitement, but you still get excited over going to work or going to the firehouse or going out on a run or seeing a truck whiz by. It's kind of the same thing as even when you were 10, 12 years old, no? It's exactly the same thing, man. Yeah. And like, I think, you know, now, you know, kind of from my perspective, when I see, you know, trucks go by on the road and stuff, I think I start, you know, I start really thinking about like, what is the public's perception of the oh, fire department? And, that's good. and why does, you know, why does the public love the fire department so much? And why does everyone get all jazzed up when, you know, the big loud fire truck is screaming down the road? And man, like, I, I think it's because like the public expects from us, you know, to, to do a tough job that not a lot of people want to do. And, you know, we're, we're going to go help people. So like, I, I really like, that's, that's what keeps me going now. Um, it's just thinking about the public's perspective of the fire department and trying to live up to that from, you know, from riding the seat of the fire truck. So, and that's that maturity, right? I mean, that's where it goes from day one, walking in the firehouse to really refining and understanding, um, your position and where you are. Totally, man. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So Rob, where do we want to go? I mean, let's talk about, uh, I know you mentioned Burtonsville, right? That was one of your first volunteer companies. Yeah. Um, And that was a, that was a live-in program. It was, yeah. It was uh, like a lot of the firehouses, uh, volunteer firehouses in the D.C. metro area. Yeah. You know, you can can join and you could come, you know, one night a week, two nights a week, whatever. Or you can be a live-in if you were, uh, you know, a full-time student or you had a full-time job. So, um, yeah, man, that was a that really was like the beginning of everything for me. Like that was a, a unparalleled experience, completely invaluable, like you know, it was only, it only lasted a handful of years, but like, I, I wouldn't trade that for the world, you know, and um, especially being a living at a firehouse in, in the DC area. Like I would recommend that to any young guy or gal that is getting their feet wet in the fire department and, and really wants to figure out what it's about. Like the, it's just a tremendous experience. So I, I thought the living experience, not that I was a living, I, I did it one week when the, when the bunk room in Hyattsville would go to the beach. But um, like the watching all of the guys in Hyattsville and the girls go through the living program and seeing what how they turn out on the other side, you know, it's almost like it's a separate, it's it's unofficial, you know, education. Like it's a high level college class that you cannot per- reproduce because well, of- it is. Man. It it you, you hit the nail on the head, man. Like in um, you know, at work when when new people come on the job and they get done with recruit school and we start finding out, you know, a little bit about their background and, you know, it comes up like, yeah, I was a living at this, you know, uh, Prince George's County firehouse, or I was a living here. Like I look at them differently, you know, because I know that those guys at 18, 19, 20 years old are taking in an insane amount of runs, like runs that, you know, guys who just go straight career right off the bat could only dream of. Um, so, I mean, it, it really is an incredible jump start to, For, to somebody's uh- for some perspective, Jason, what when you joined Burtonsville, do you know what off the top of your head what their split was between fire and EMS and what they were running? Like percentage wise? No, just like the rough numbers. Because I know, like I think when I started in Hyattsville, it was like uh, you know I, I think it was like fifty-eight to six thousand runs for the you know for the firehouse a year. 
Yeah, Burtonsville uh, wasn't too far off. Like, I, I don't know exactly what it was when I was there, but somewhere between five and 6,000 runs a year. Um, and it was, a you know, engine, ladder truck, rescue squad, and uh, a medic unit there. Um, so, I mean, it, you know, wasn't insanely, you know, just absolutely burn you out busy, but it was steady, you know, really yeah. steady and with good calls. So, Jason, let me tell you, 44 years, I'm 44 years old. I'm super pissed off that the internet was invented when I was in college and yeah. I didn't have the ability to even understand that live-in programs were a thing because I yeah. can tell you when I graduated high school, I would have packed my bags and I would have moved to one of these busy houses and I would have been a bunk in and I probably would have had a whole different lifestyle. Not that I regret anything I've done in my life, but sure. the thing is now is there's so much availability for people to understand that programs like that exist um, when I was in high school, I mean, I got my first email address my uh, freshman year of college. And so wow. by then, and then I, I was away at a four. Thanks, pal. Thanks. You're just sorry, sorry. calling me old is what you're doing. <laughs> but if you think about it, and I remember like, I, I just remember as like when it started coming out and you start looking at fire companies and you start seeing like the PG County area and, and the DC metro area that you talked about. You know, and then you start seeing these run numbers and then, oh, holy shit, guys live there. It's volunteer, but they live there. Like it was such a, a, a mind blown event for me to understand that that was an opportunity that I didn't know anything about because we just didn't have the opportunity to know about it. You know, totally. And, yeah. and I think now, you know, like I, I think of how many guys I know that have decided to go do that and to get that experience and which putting yourself into those companies because a lot of people that listen to this podcast, they're, they're all over the country, right? All over the world. And so sure. like they might not be familiar because the bunk-in program is not the most common concept across the country, across the United sure. States for, for areas. So it, I think it's really unique, especially for that DC area because the call volume is so high that it allows for just aggressive programs like that. And that's, that's totally. the thing that I think too, with the programs like, I see other places across the country starting living programs, which I think is excellent. But if you are a young firefighter and you have the opportunity to come and take classes, whether they be online or in person in the DC area and experience that, that call volume, you can't duplicate it. Like I, right. I tell guys up here all the time, they're like, well, why would you do it? I was like, dude, I, there's a couple of times where I went down and I, I did three fires in 16 hours. And I don't mean like, yep. I just sprayed water with a water can. I mean, like kick ass. Like, I don't understand how guys in Detroit do this every day, but man, this is awesome. <laughs> it's an, it's an incredible experience. It has to be. And I, I think that's, what's awesome is because the people, when you have programs like that, the people that subscribe to those are the people that go there. Um, their dedication and commitment is just over the top, but it gives them, I think such fulfillment because that's what they're looking for. That fast pace, you know, that yeah. hustle, but that also sets them up for an incredible future, typically in the fire service. Cause a lot of these living guys do move on to career departments, right? The, totally. I mean, that, that's, that seems to be the thing. Like there's, it, it's not always the thing though. Like there's a lot of guys that are doing college programs and living right. in uh, the firehouses. And I think, you know, uh, Rob could, can think of the same, same guy I'm talking about. He's, he's an engineer. Um, and was a, a live-in for several years, you know, but that, that does tend to be where things go is, you know, right. guys get, uh, guys get in those live-in programs and they end up on the, you know, on the career side of the house uh, eventually. So. Well, other, yeah, other just, than that hook, right. Other than that fast pace, that hook at, at a young age, being a live-in, right. You get in there and it's just that go, go, go. 
Let me let me ask you on on another side of things. Like, what else did that do for you? I mean, it obviously created and and you fostered an incredible love for the fire service. But like, as a person, as yourself, right? Like for those ten minutes outside of the firehouse, like what yeah, yeah. has that done for you? Because I, I I can just imagine how powerful it was of an experience to really shape who you are. Sure. If, if I had to sum up that entire thing, that entire answer in one word, I would say maturity. Yeah. Right. Like you're you're taking a 18, 19, 20 year old kid and you're teaching them effectively about the world through the eyes of a firehouse. Yeah. Um, you know, like you you don't get away with anything. You're held accountable for doing your part, carrying your weight, uh, cooking meals, cleaning up, making sure the rigs are well maintained and taken care of and checked out. Um, and people are legitimately relying on you on a on a day to day basis. You know, people, the, the community, the citizens and, and, you know, the, the brothers and sisters in the firehouse are relying on an 18 year old kid to do their part and, and to not let people down. So, um, you know, from from what I've seen, from my personal experience and, and some of the guys that I've seen come up and live in programs, I think you end up with guys that just grow up a lot faster. Um, and I think that's what sets them up so well for these career jobs, because they know exactly what to expect. They're, they're not, they're not going into their interview, you know, like a completely inexperienced, you know, uh, just totally naive kid, you know, they've, they've been held accountable for however many years and they've grown up, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that's it for me, like maturity. And the accountability probably too also, uh, comes in from that like interpersonal, um, conflict that happens in when you get eight, eight to 20 guys living in a firehouse, there's totally. going to be agreements. There's going to be, I, I remember getting pulled into a bunk room meeting once and I was like, Hey, I don't belong here. And Sven's like, no, you're part of this. Shut up and sit down. Yeah. And I was like, all right. And like an issue was hashed out and it was super uncomfortable, but it was like, I, I was like, I love this. This is great. Cause they're figuring yes. it out. Yes, and dude. Like, yes. Like that is, man, I couldn't have said it better myself. Like in, I can't speak for the fire service as a whole, but a lot of what I see um, these days, I think it's fair to say, like people in general avoid conflict. 100%. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying, you know, like we should be confrontational to be confrontational and to be complete jackasses to one another, but people in general shy away from the difficult conversations and the, they'll take the, you know, the, the easy wrong over the hard, right. Um, and especially now, now more than ever, brother. 100%. Yeah, man. So, you know, Rob, like right to, to speak right on what you're talking about, like, especially at Hyattsville, man, like those guys did a phenomenal job and, and you're right, man. Like it just overall life skills, like learning how to address conflict, figure out issues, you know, work things out. And then not, not only that, but like get better because of it. Um, I mean, it's just, it was a tremendous thing to see. Um, yeah, just a really cool, really cool experience. And I think when you touch on accountability, like I would just, I, I don't know much about Burtonsville um, other than some of the, like, you know, I've, I've always heard a good reputation with the, the program, but like there was accountability and how, like you couldn't, and I think this is what a lot of people struggle with when they come into the live-in programs in the DC area is traditionally you just can't come in and be like, yeah, I'm a fireman from here. And I, here's my, here's my certificate. Like you have to show your skills. Like I had to show like Tristan and, Matt Leonard mm -hmm. that knew what I was doing and like it was even worse for me because they're like you're a career fireman who works in or who's from Poughkeepsie like you should you better know how to do this and yeah. I was like, oh shit but like that's that's the other side of the house when it comes to that whole accountability because now well you just can't you can't fake it until you make it you have to know 
And I, yeah, I, man, like, go ahead, brother. Oh, sorry, fellas. And like, it, yeah, I agree with you, man. Like, it was, it was a very uh, distinguished environment of, like, it does not matter who you are and where you come from. Like, you'll make it here. Like, when the guys say you make it here, and the only way, the only way to do that was to be a competent fireman. Like, that was it. Um, and they're like, I've got so much respect for you know that system of doing things. Um, it was just really cool. Lucky buck. What a great experience. And and so that has really set you up for a lot of success then. And and from uh, Burtonsville and you, you guys mentioned Hyattsville. I mean, there's, there's a few here on the list, but at the end of the day, you end up uh, going after uh, your love of the fire service as a career. And you end up in, uh, you test out in Loudoun County, Virginia, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. It was uh, one of those deals where like getting out of high school, there were, I don't know, six to eight fire departments in the area uh, hiring. Um, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. Like, I didn't even take my SAT. Uh, you know, like I, I knew that I wasn't going to college, at least not yet. Um, so, man, I, I did what a lot of guys do. A lot of young livings do. Like, I applied everywhere. Yep. Um, and, you know, Loudoun County was the uh, the first department that that gave me a call and gave me a shot. So, like, who was I to say no? Um, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, man, like, oh, you want to, you know, pay me $18 an hour? Like, it, this sounds fantastic. Like, it beats it, <laughs> what I'm making currently, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. No, that's cool, man. And that was, what, about 13, 14 years ago, right, you said? A uh, little little less than that. Um, okay. Uh, well, about 11, yeah. about 11 years. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading my notes here, and I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. 10 going on. Yep. Yeah. And you're currently a lieutenant. So let me let me ask you this, right? So you go from a very fast-paced uh, volunteer department, and then you you get your career job, and then go through the academy, right? You do all the all the uh, probationary stuff. You get in there. Um, what was your take on it, man? Like, and <laughs> the, the guys who had me as a rookie, yeah, would would probably be rolling around laughing right now because. I think it's pretty fair to say that like I was, I was a shithead to a degree, you know, I was at the time, I don't, I forget how old I was, but man, like, I, like you said, like I just came out of being a live-in. Yeah. Um, all, all I cared about was riding fire trucks and going to fires. Um, and like, it, it took me a little bit of a time to realize that like, Hey, like, yeah, that's the job. Right. But there's these things that like you have to do on the computer. Like it's just a fact of life. Like there's, there's, you know, these smoke detector installs and all this stuff. So, you know, like I, I, I probably had a really, uh, you know, I don't know if cocky is the right word, but I was a dumb kid who's like, man, these guys don't care about going to fires and whatever. And it, it took me some time, but I came to realize that I worked with a really, really good group of firemen. Um, and, you know, they just, they didn't get the chance to show it as often as an 18 year old live in who, you know, was riding fire trucks day in yeah. and day out. Um, so yeah, it was an adjustment. It was an adjustment, but it was one that I needed because I, I needed to be uh, to be brought down a couple things. Yeah, it grounded so, you, right? I mean, yes, it, it, it grounded you. When, absolutely. When we're, talking to, when we're talking about that whole like grounding and, you know, like being brought down and stuff, like was there a mentor in your fire service career that helped you with any of these challenges? Because that's, that is a challenge going from a very busy firehouse to like not to say where your first sign wasn't busy. But like, you know, that the, there's two separate lives there. Sure. Sure. Yeah. My, uh, the very first Lieutenant that I had, um, he recognized pretty early on, uh, like he knew where I came from. 
Um, he could he could see where my mindset was. Uh, he recognized early on uh, kind of the direction I wanted to go. And, you know, like he, he started making those suggestions like, hey, man, like I know you don't know a lot about the county yet, but, you know, once you get off probation, you do your rookie book like, hey, like you should check out going to these firehouses because they're busier and the you know, they're, you're going to be running more calls and the, the mindset's a little more aggressive and stuff. So, yeah, early on, like I had somebody definitely kind of help me out and show me the ropes with that, so to speak. Um, so and that, that's ultimately what I did. Give me the breakdown on this rookie book. You brought it up. So I know uh, a lot of departments have them. Some don't mm-hmm. or, or probably I would think most don't. Um, I would love for you to, to talk about the rookie book a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's a it's something that we've been doing in Loudoun now for a long time. And it's a it's a really structured process um, that takes um, the the rookie firefighter from the end of their recruit school experience to six months later when they're no longer a probationary employee. Um, so in between that time frame, so between your six month and 12 month uh, time period on the job, um, there's there's, you know, set tasks that you have to complete. There's policies and procedures that you have to know. Um, there's skills that you have to demonstrate and all of those things you're tested on. Um, so it's, you know, literally broken down on a month to month basis. Like, hey, month one, you know, here's the policies you're responsible for. You're going to be pulling hose, throwing ladders, forcing doors, all of that kind of stuff. And, and you take a, a test associated with that. So um, throughout the, the rookie book, as we affectionately call it, like there's there's two big tests that you take. Uh, you take a, a three-month test and you take a six-month test, and that gets administered by um, your assigned battalion chief. So, you know, that's basically like the the final sign-off sort sure. of deal. Um, Let me ask uh, you yeah. this. With with that book, right, being the new kid in the firehouse, you come in, you're ready to run, man, and you got this, this book that you got to make sure you follow through on. But it's the mission of the company to get you through it and to work with you on every aspect of it, no? Absolutely, man. Yeah. And like uh, – Later, you know, where I'm at now in my career, um, specifically where, you know, as it pertains to rookies, it's I've got a really big frustration with how the culture of the fire department, I, maybe I could only speak to where I'm at. I, I would imagine it's pretty widespread, but I think we all have heard the like, oh, rookies these days don't know what they're doing. And these new kids have never, you know, operated a, a, an impact drill before, you know, or they, they don't know what size sockets or I whatever. It. I get it. You know, they, they just want to play on their computer, you know, and I'm, I'm like, Hey man. Uh, so I was a new guy, like not that long ago. Um, like luckily I had some people show me what I needed to do and teach right. me like, man, like it is, it's not the fault of the rookie coming into the firehouse. Now, granted, you know, uh, individual responsibility and initiative obviously is a big factor, but if a rookie does not do well in their probationary period, it's, it falls squarely on the leadership of that firehouse. Um, and I believe that firmly, like it, it falls on the senior firefighters and it falls on the officers. Like it, it is our job to get those guys through what they need to get through. And that, in so. that take, I, I mean, I love that brother. I mean, that, that is like right up our alley of what we talk a lot about here on national fire radio. And, and I, and I think it's so important, but I, I guess, I'm leading you to that point of it is important though in your department as the mission of the company to get that proby through that book and to get them through that book um well and and well polished right because it's a shining star on the the company and the officer no totally totally i mean yeah you're exactly right like it could go one of two ways like you know your rookie can be phenomenal and crush their tests and you know do great in front of the battalion chief and and right. 
aside from just optics and how they look like legitimately know the job yep or it could go the complete other direction and when it goes the other direction leadership isn't pointing the fingers at the rookie they're pointing the fingers at the company and That's they the should down is yeah yeah and, and and they should like we should be the ones held accountable for that so. and i love that because it's the buy-in that book is not just for the probie to learn the tasks of the department and the company at hand but it's the it's getting the company buy-in from the senior man and the company officer down to that rookie that's what i love about that rookie book it has nothing to yeah it has to do with the rookie but in fact it's about the company it's about the buy-in of the of the company totally man and like the there there's nothing i love more than to see the you know the technician or the the senior firefighter leading drills and teaching you know because while they're doing that they are just solidifying everything that they know about that topic as well you know we all know like you you learn better when you're teaching um you know so it's just a really cool process all the way around the other night i walked around the engine at the firehouse and one of the younger kids was teaching a younger kid something Mm -hmm. and i was like this is so cool to see like a three-year guy work with a six-month guy on something that just two and a half years ago he just went through the same thing and there was nobody there watching and nobody was asking him to do it. Nobody said, Hey, you know, Brian, go do that. It was, you know, and so for me, that's one of those moments where I just stopped. I, I looked and I was like, I'm going to back up. I'm not even going to, you know, say anything or interject. It's like, let that moment happen. Oh, dude, that's awesome. And yeah. you know, like it, yeah. a lot of people, you know, a lot of naysayers will give that three-year guy a hard time uh, for passing on whatever he has to pass on. Like, Oh, he's, you know, his cup of coffee hasn't even brewed yet kind of thing. And it's like, man, everyone's got something to bring to the table. Like that guy was there. He was just in that kid's seat, man. You know, like, I think he's got a lot to bring to the table and we have to, we have to encourage that. Right. But it's important for that three-year guy to know how far he can take his his nuggets to share. He's got to understand that too. Yeah, for sure. Totally. I find that really interesting too, because I do see that concept of like all oh, this you know as you put it this cup of coffee hasn't even brewed yet for that three-year guy but then i'd like think back to like when we you know not to circle back too much but we talk about like burton so we talked about hyatt's a little bit and these fire these living programs are running on people who are anywhere from the age of 18 years old to maybe 23 24 at the most right mm-hmm. so and they're doing this in a firehouse that's running you know on the fire side you know at least 3000 calls a year, if not more. And like, they have to know. So like, if they can do it, why can't somebody who's like, why can't somebody else do it? You know, that just always, oh. always made me like, cause I've, I've seen it before too. And in my job where people are like, well, he doesn't even have enough time on. I'm like, yeah, but he's the one who took the initiative today to get off his ass and do something. So yep. maybe that's yep. the topic of the conversation. Well, I Absolutely. think, I think you, you look at those living departments and they're so busy and it's so focused on the mission at hand that you can't, it's very hard. I mean, I'm speaking, yeah. listen, I didn't go through this experience like you guys did, but I can only imagine that nobody's buying into a program like that if you're a shitbag. If you're not there yeah. for the right reasons, you're not going to last there. Yep. So it's that, and, exactly. then, and, then they, and then they grow up quick because all of a sudden the, the weight of the world's on their shoulders running out the door 20 plus times a day. They, they have to be dialed in and, and totally into it. So that 20-year-old kid or 22-year-old kid's got to grow up super fast versus that volunteer house that runs 500 calls a year and that yeah. kid makes 250 of those 500 runs. 
that the maturity level is going to be different just because of the experience, I think. Yep. Totally, man. So, all right, Rob, you got a place you go or you want yeah, to so yeah. start talking about it a little bit, Jason is yeah. you like, I follow you on social media. And ever since I've, I've known you, like you have this affinity with tech rescue stuff, specifically ropes. You've gone around the country. Like you do some crazy shit. I see you on cranes, you know, rigging stuff up and like it's just like so where did this come from because like you're not only into it but you you're passionate about it and that passion i've watched you teach people like like you've actually taught me how to do simple systems before and you're like really dude but like you're you know you're just as excited when you're doing that where did that all come from i'll tell you what man like when i was uh when i was at burtonsville as that new guy like we had a rescue squad there um and like admittedly like i was you know and i I think at that age, you're kind of just a product of your environment, but admittedly, you know, I'm like, Oh man, screw the squad. Like I want to, I want to put fires out on the engine and I want to cut roofs on the ladder truck and uh, you know, whatever. And um, I think as time went on, you know, especially when I got, you know, a career job and stuff, like I realized how much I enjoy uh, the, a thinking man's game. Um, and I love fighting fire just as much as the next guy, maybe even more than the next guy. Like I, I absolutely love it. You know, like it, it's, it's 100% the bread and butter. Like I, if I could do that every day for the rest of my life, like I, I'd, I'd be in heaven, but you know, there's, there's a lot of low time in between that. And, you know, there's a lot of, at least where I work, um, there's a ton, like an insane amount of construction development, um, just in general, just a, a, an exploding population. Right. Um, and I, I really got into like, you know, just taking initial, uh, you know, like introduction to tech rescue classes and stuff like that. Like I really started to appreciate the thinking aspect of it. Um, and, and like, it, it really just started to spin my gears, man. Like the fact that specifically with rescue, like you can quite literally do something 35 different ways and produce the exact same result. Um, it, that blows my mind and it still blows my mind. Um, and I think, I think that's what I like, what I, what I really took a liking to about it is just, it, it really allows for creativity. I think from what I found, like more so than a lot of other stuff we do, um, you know, pulling hose is an art form, throwing ladders is an art form, cracking roofs is an art form, um, you know, but there, to an extent, like there's only so many different ways, you know, you could do those things. Um, when it came to a lot of the tech rescue stuff, it was just a complete a complete open-ended question. Like it right. was just, you know, I, I could do anything and produce the same result. And that like that, I, I love that, you know, that just really stuck to me. The creativity is one thing. And I get that. And I, I love the thing. I love the fact that you're like a chess player, right? I mean, you're a thinking man. You want to, ch you challenge yourself. I mean, you, you know, when you, structural firefighting, you're right. I mean, there's, there's different disciplines and you can, you can arrive to the, to the same outcome a few different ways, but not a multitude of different ways and, and so on. So I get that. And I, I, I love how you crafted that with the creativity combined with the thinking man's game. I also, something I wrote down in my notes underneath heavy rescue, right? Cause I know you're into all this and I really want to dive deep into this. Yeah. But yeah. I have a, I have a word I've disciplined like underlined like three times because this isn't, you know, guys can hide on the fire ground. You can't hide in tech rescue. Right. No, that is, yeah, I mean, yes, that is okay. ultimately, that is true, man. I and, mean, you know. And typically the guys that find themselves to get into that discipline chose to go there, right? You don't, you don't have people being assigned there. You have the people that want to learn this discipline, 
right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, high angle, low angle, trench, confined space, and everything in between that you guys do, right? Collapse and so on, right? But those guys choose to be there. And so they have to be dialed in and disciplined to those different segments of the job. T- totally, man. And like that exact reason that you just gave is is also the biggest reason why we're disliked. Um, like overall, you know, and I, I can't speak for every fire department. I could speak for mine. Um, but overall, the the rescue companies are disliked. Um, and there's, there's, you know, it, it depends who you ask why. Um, but I, in, in my, my, my opinion, which is obviously biased one way, um, <laughs> you, you know, like, uh, you know, like, it's just like what you said, like, we got guys who are into this, they want to yeah. do this. Um, and, and as a result of that, they have to attend specialized training. They're putting in, in general, a lot more hours training, um, you know, than a lot of, a lot of other companies and stuff. And I think uh, <clears throat> to an extent, it unfortunately kind of gets construed as uh, like the, the rescue thinks they're better than everybody and stuff like that. And it's like, man, you know, man, like, not at all. Like we're just different. Like we have a different mission and we have things that we have to be proficient in. Um, and in order to do that, like we have to have guys that are going to basically eat, sleep and breathe it, you know? Um, so it's just, it's just a different aspect of the fire department, I think. I also um, think that rescues, like rescue companies, are like if we go to a fire right now and the public's watching and we go in the building and we come out of the building and the building burns down, like everybody's going to say like all eyes were on them. And man, those guys tried real hard, but it just, you know, today wasn't their day. And like, you know, and, and we can, as a fire service, we can say like, oh, the fire had an advanced start. You know, we had some problems getting water on the fire. We can, whatever, we, we can come up with like some technical excuses, but rescue, yeah. you can't do that. Like you look at somebody who's down a hole and, you know, the lights are on them and, and like you have to know how to do that stuff. Like you, and and, and if it doesn't work, like there's no excuse you can make. You yep. can't say, well, you know, the the collapse it had a it had a head start on us. Or yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. we're we're in a structural fire and it goes to shit because guys aren't doing their job. We could just pull everybody out and the place goes to hell, right? Like yeah. you you can't do that. In the, nope. typically when you guys are there, it's already gone to hell, and and now it's time to fix that, right? Like, and I don't mean that. Ooh as a shot i mean that as and I'm, I'm not even talking about fires i'm talking about tech stuff like when you yeah. you know you have a train derailment and you roll up on that and you have people pinned under a train car like it's not going to get much worse right it's the, not going to get no much worse. yeah i mean like you know if we've got a construction worker who who fell off you know whatever it is they're working on and they're hanging in their fall arrest lanyards yep. i can't just wish that away <laughs> yeah, um, right. you know like I can't, you know, snap my fingers, sound the evacuation tone. Yeah, tr- transmit a third alarm. I just need more companies, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. right. And you're you're exactly right. And that's why, you know, at least with my guys, uh, I think they would all probably uh, begrudgingly attest to this. Like, I, I'm hard on them, you know? Like, I have I have pretty hard, high standards. Um, and, and it's for that reason. Because while these calls don't happen every day, and I don't think, you know, really any fire department can say they do, except for maybe some of the really, you know, big cities. But when they happen, all eyes are on us, you know, who else is going to solve the problem? Yeah. Um, you know, so like, I have to, it's, it's my job, like, I, I owe it to those citizens that we, you know, might need to help in those situations to make sure that myself, especially, but my guys, you know, are, are completely dialed in. Um, and totally prepared and trained for whatever it is that we need to do. Um, so yeah, man, there's just a, there's a lot of, there's a lot riding on it. So I've always loved the, 
totally honest communication that happens in rescue companies because because of that high stakes nature of it like if somebody either has a even if they just like they're mentally they skip a beat and they're like wait a second or they're just stumped like it's the it's the one i don't want to say safe space because that's super weird but like you said like yeah hey, i'm not sure super about this weird. and everybody kind of gets in and, and they they put all the heads together and it, like it, it is a, a team approach a communicated plan and it's fluid and i i just i've always enjoyed watching some of the rescue companies work because there is that communication you know yeah man and you know along with that like all of the guys that have worked for me on these rescue companies like the one thing that i have told them right from the get-go when i'm you know you know kind of laying out expectations like i personally <clears throat> when we're drilling in the firehouse when we're drilling at the training center whatever i don't believe in rank i really don't um and that's you know some people might look at that as like a progressive kind of way to think about things but the way i look at it is you know we ride with four on my heavy rescue like i've got three other dudes with a with some pretty serious brain power um, you know, that have a lot to bring to the table. So like, who am I to think that I have all the answers just because I'm a lieutenant, like it's, it's insane to me. So the way I kind of approach things like that open communication, like you're talking about Rob is like, when we have a situation that we're dealt with, I kind of come up with an initial game plan and I, I run it by everybody. And I, I give, especially on incidents, like sometimes you just have to make a decision, right. As the officer, but yeah. like I give at least a small opportunity for some input because I am 100% not immune to missing something. Um, so well, not only that, but there's so many different segments of what you do. So it's yeah. like you're a ropes guy. So yep. if you have a high angle job in a construction crane, you might be the guy on that four man crew that day. That's the strongest in that discipline. But sure. you, you know, three hours later, you go to a confined space job, a guy down in the manhole or something. And you got a guy that is a little more proficient in that discipline. Right. So sure. I can understand that. And I, I think the other thing too, is in that rescue company, you guys typically have the ability, though, to communicate um, very precisely and clearly as to your action plan of how you're going to implement this rescue, right? Where on a fire ground, we typically have our jobs and we go off and we we work solo quite often on the fire ground. In, in this type of discipline, you guys are really working as a company. Yeah, yeah man. I mean, when you look at the fire ground versus the, the tech rescue environment, like, you know, I don't know how a lot of other places operate, but we operate on predetermined uh, arrival assignments. Right. Um, you know, so if you're the third new engine on a high rise fire, like, you know exactly what you're doing. Um, and there's no talking about it. Everyone just goes to work. But tech rescue can't be that way because every right. single one of them, every single one's different. Right. Um, so it, there really does have to be that collaboration as a company. Um, and then, like you said, like a very clearly defined, well communicated plan of action. Um, so, you know, cause there's a, there's a, a lot riding on it. Like the stakes are high at that point. Um, so what gets your, what gets your juices flowing? I mean, you're a ropes guy, right? So, I mean, you like to be suspended in midair upside down, uh, wrestling, you know, Harry Houdini shit or what? Like what, what do you, like, what do you I mean, what, I mean, truly, I mean, what do you, what do you enjoy? You know, man, like, I, it, it sounds super like a uh, cliche to say, but like, I, I love all of it. Um, okay. recently. Recently, I got into, uh, on the recommendation of a good friend of mine, uh, I got into rope access work, which <laughs> in for layman's terms is, is basically what window washers do. Like the guys you see washing windows and inspecting bridges and, right. and whatever, like those are rope access guys. Um, and I got into it because, you know, in the fire department, fire service, rope rescue, 
like we don't really emphasize what you as the individual can do on rope, right? Like you're usually getting lowered by a system, you're getting hauled up by a system, everything is done by the team, quote unquote. But the rope access world, it's the complete opposite. It's you, it's just you and the rope and what work can you accomplish doing that? Um, so man, I, I went down that path pretty heavy um, and I was able to bring a whole bunch of, uh, I was able to draw a whole bunch of parallels um, with what we do in the fire service, you know, and uh, like, I think it's kind of expedited how uh, we do rope rescues, how we approach rope rescues, um, you know, because rather than spending, you know, without getting too technical or whatever, but rather than spending an hour's time to accomplish, you know, one pickoff rescue, because we've got 20 guys on the roof of this building debating how it's going to go, like, I could set, you know, yeah, you know how it is, the good idea varies. Yeah. Um, you know, like I could set two anchors, throw two ropes over the side, and I could have one of my guys get on rappel and affect the pickoff rescue in 10 minutes um, using these rope access skills. So uh, that, like, currently, that's kind of that's kind of where cool. I'm at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll my gears. You, um, so. do you, you enjoy? I mean, as a thinking man, we talked about this before and the creativity of it, which you kind of just alluded to. I mean, there's so many different ways to get to the end result. Um, the challenge of that probably mentally for you is, uh, is probably the most rewarding, no? Oh, totally, man. Like just, um, and that, that really comes from training, like the stuff on the, you know, in the firehouse and on the drill ground, like just coming up with every scenario possible that I could think of, of, you know, how is somebody going to get stuck in an elevated position? How is somebody going to fall over the side of a cliff or down an embankment or, you know, on the side of a building or, or whatever, like thinking of all those different situations. And then for each one of those situations, pairing up four or five different ways to fix that problem. Yeah. Um, like that's how, that's how you build like what I like to call my, my mental Rolodex, right? So, you know, when I pull up on that on the street, you know, my, I just start flipping through my Rolodex like, oh, okay. Uh, I see right here, like pick off rescue from a window washer hanging on the side of a building. Okay. Got it. Like I've got four ways that I can do that. Yeah. Um, and that's I, what I try to I love it. I just went through this the other night. We were doing, uh, we were cutting some cars up the other night and, um, yeah. you know, one car's on its side after the struts, we do the flop the roof, um, did a couple things. And then the guys were like, let's flip it on its wheels. And then we'll, you know, finish the, finish the sides. We'll roll the dash, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, great. Let's not just push the car over with the skid steer. I'm like, let's mechanically control the vehicle roll, you know? And sure. so the guys are like, what? And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's use creativity here. Right. Like, we have the scenario in front of us. Now let's pretend a guy's arm stuck under it or we have to roll the vehicle. Right. So, you mm -hmm. know, we ended up setting up pickets. We ended up using snatch blocks with the winch. It was just a really cool, it took an extra 10 minutes, but the guys got a whole nother uh, idea in, in their, in their brain of how to use the equipment that was already available oh, yeah. to us. Right. And then to take it further, the fun part was roll the dash afterwards uh, for easier for the tow companies to come get it. I said, okay. I said, let's get the uh, the large spreader, put the chain hooks on the tips. I said, we're going to pull this car back together. And they're like, what? And I go, we're going to pull it yeah. back together. And we went around the front axle to the rear axle with chains. And we, you know, large spreader closed it. We pulled the car straight again. And the car yeah, could yeah. roll right up on the, and, and the guys are like, we've never seen. I said, yeah, the spreader can also pull. It doesn't just pull. Like, mm -hmm. and, and it was just, it's, it's those fun moments. But what it takes is somebody with the creative mind you know, and that's why I can relate so much with you right now with, with all of this, sure. because it's that creativity of looking at something and finding seven or 10 or 12 different ways to, to accomplish sure. the same task, but using a different method. I love it. Sure. Totally, man. Yeah. yeah. And like to, love it. 
to build on yeah to build on that like yeah um you know like i think a lot of it too is is setting pretty clear expectations like both for myself as the officer and for my guys uh as far as knowledge of equipment right so like i'm a i'm a pretty big stickler with that like a lot of guys you know they hate the numbers they don't think they matter you know whatever I like the numbers. Like I, I want to know like two, you know, the, the numbers after the comma of the, the spreading force of our spreaders and the cutters and, you know, what our bottle jacks are, you know, what the capacity is. Like, I want to know all of that. Um, and I also like what I try to impress on, on the guys is like, I want to know at least three different ways to use every single tool on that rescue company. Um, because if, if you know your equipment that intimately, when you're faced with the situation that, um, you know, it, 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 you're kind of dealing with the square peg in the round hole, so to speak. Right. Um, when you know the equipment that well, it's not difficult. It's not super difficult to come up with that plan B, C, D all the way down the line. Um, Agreed. so yeah. that challenge though. I love that challenge. Love it. What are, what are some of the square pegs in the round hole that you've had in your career since you started this path of tech rescue? Yeah, man. Uh, like, so one sticks out uh, pretty, pretty, pretty strongly in my mind. Um, we had a, uh, an auto accident uh, with entrapment, uh, 2017, September of 2017. Um, and and what, what happened was, was a, uh, somebody, a total scumbag, uh, converted um, old school bus into a food truck, uh, like totally illegal operation. Um, you know, like well, this guy was a, a career criminal come to find out whatever. So he's driving back from this event at a, a really dangerous intersection, like a well-known intersection where we've had tons of hellacious wrecks. Um, he, I don't know exactly how he came to blow the stop sign, but he blew a stop sign and, and T-boned a, a sedan with a family of five in it. Um, and I, when I say T-boned, I mean like when we pulled on scene, pulled up on scene, like you couldn't see the car. Um, the bus was that smashed into it and it was also on top of this car. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, like I think we all go to, you know, get dispatched for auto accidents with entrapment and we're, we're thinking doors, roof dash, like no big deal. Um, this one wasn't that way. Like I, I, I was quickly exhausting, uh, my mental Rolodex, um, you know, because we ended up in a, you know, a situation where out of the five people in the vehicle, uh, they were pinned so severely that every single time we pushed, pulled, spread, whatever, anytime yeah. we did anything to manipulate that car, it was causing a very severe amount of pain for somebody else in that vehicle. Um, you know, so just going down that normal, um, you know, the normal, you know, checklist algorithm, whatever you want to call it in your head of how an extrication should work, it wasn't working. Um, you know, so we ended up having to, you know, like the uh, pull some, pull some stuff out, you know, like just the square peg in the round hole kind of thing. Like what ended up working to, to free, uh, some of the, the backseat passengers legs was, um, you know, like we, I took a piece of uh, webbing out of my pocket of my turnout coat. Like I, I wrapped it around the seat and like a couple of us pulled forward as hard as we could, um, just to try to isolate a piece of the vehicle that we could manipulate without hurting other people. And like, that was the first time we were on scene at this point for, three hours cutting this car, um, trying to cut this car. Um, and that was the first time that we really made a lot of progress. Like that kid came right out of the back seat when we did that. So, um, you know, I think once everybody, you know, everyone at that point is exhausted yeah. physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever. Um, you know, but I think once we kind of started to see that, like, all right, like we need to, we need to venture a little bit outside of our normal, you know, extrication practices here. 
um, like we can make something happen. So, um, yeah, like that, and that was just one, you know, one that really sticks out as far as, um, you know, it just was not your cut and dry, uh, bread and butter cut job for the day. Like it was just, you know, being successful on that incident was from training our butts off, you know, knowing our equipment inside and out, having good communication with one another, being able to maintain composure and work through problems, you know, like it, it was all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, I can only imagine the after the after effects of that too. Right. I mean, you know, not only the, the, the personal intake of, of what the situation was, but then as a company, right. I mean, you guys sit down after that and you look at each other and go, Holy shit. Like, yeah, let's, let's have some conversations, you know, like we gotta, yeah. we gotta you yeah. know, talk about this, figure yeah. this out and so on. Yeah. But, and, and that's where the importance of um, solid leadership and a solid foundation um, really matter because totally. you know, too often things like that gets, you know, it's still high fives and ass slaps and everybody forgets about it the next day. Meanwhile, there's so many lessons to learn or ideas to talk about that come from things like that. And it takes that creative mind and a strong leader to promote that conversation with the crew. So. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Cool. So, okay. Uh, rescue squads. I mean, you, you grew up through them, right? So, and, and I'm a, I'm a truck nerd as people know on national fire radio. I love, so, and rescues have a sweet spot for me, but you've been in depart, you've been in departments that just have beautiful rescues all the way up the line. Uh, I'd like to think so. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, oh, you, uh, you have, I mean, you have, yeah. and, uh, and, yeah. and with that though, comes the ability to uh, now command your own rescue company as the boss of your tour. Um, and I, I think that that's a, you know, that's an impressive position. And, um, and a lot of, a lot of weight comes on your shoulders because, um, you know, anything out of the ordinary falls on you during that 24, you know, 24 hours. And, uh, totally. that's, that's totally. a, that's a, you know, that's a big, uh, that's a big mind play. Um, but, uh, training, I mean, as a, as a rescue company that supports that mission, right? I mean, it's just, it's constant training, instilling those values into your guys. Um, yep. How all, I mean, is it all tour, every tour? I mean, what, just give me the, like, what, how do you like to provide training or encourage the training with your company? How, do, how do you go about that? Yeah, man. Like, so yeah, I kind of lay my days out uh, the same way. Uh, like I, I try to have a plan A, so to speak. And um, you know, things, all sorts of shit comes up during the day, right? The calls, smoke detector installs, public service stuff, inspections. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but in general, what I like to do is I like to, in the morning, like get a, a good, what I call fireman drill in. Um, so we're forcing doors, we're masking up, we're doing searches, we're doing uh, on Mondays, it's Mayday Monday, like we're, we're, we're doing something for Mayday, like no questions asked, um, you know, and then in the afternoon, I try to do something rescue squad related, like something technical, um, you know, and spend the afternoon doing that. So, you know, because like you guys know with the, the rescue company stuff, like, like we absolutely have to be really good at fires, um, but we also have to be really good at the other stuff too. Sure. So um, like I, I try to spread the wealth. So in regards to that then, so um, on the fire duty where you are, you guys go, you're assigned to every, uh, every fire in your county or how does that how does that work uh no so we've got uh there's two staffed heavy rescues oh, okay uh, at, um so our on the initial assignment the a heavy rescue is assigned so it, it's not always us for the whole county like it's a you know the county's over 500 square miles oh, so okay. gotcha. you know it's whichever whichever rescue company is closer gets mm -hmm. the initial assignment 
Um, and then more than likely when we put the, you know, basically the equivalent to a work and fire dispatch on it, the other one will, will more than likely come as well. Gotcha. So. And what roles do you play on the fire ground? I mean, do you go in as a special service and you actually are operating as such, or are you putting, cause you do Mayday Monday. I know that's, you know, that's yeah. an important thing, right? So um, where do you guys fall in line? You know, uh, I, it, it's it's really interesting you bring that up because, man. Or, or should we not I, talk about Or should we just move no, no, on? No, no, <laughs> I am happy. I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, so we have, without getting too crazy into it, like we have a set of guidelines for the entire Northern Virginia region, us, Fairfax, Arlington, all the big departments that say what each fire truck should do when they show up to a single family dwelling fire, a townhouse, a garden apartment, a strip center, whatever. So the way our manuals kind of read is it's a little bit convoluted in the, the delineation of responsibilities of the ladder truck versus the rescue squad. Um, and they kind of leave it a little bit open-ended for the two to be interchangeable. Um, I, I, my personal opinion, like I completely disagree with it. Um, like there's the truck and I'm, I'm definitely preaching to the choir here. Like the truck has got vital jobs to do when they get to a fire that like, and, and the way I kind of look at it is, you know, the truck guys are getting the engine where they need to go. You know, they're, they're forcing entry, they're opening up, they're finding the fire, they're ventilating, they're doing all that good stuff. The way I look at the rescue company is when we get there, I've got four guys, we split into two teams, myself and the, the bar guy riding behind me, we're going to the fire floor to search my driver and the guy riding behind him are going to the floor above. Um, so all four guys, you know, should be dedicated to that primary search to make sure that no one's duplicating any effort to make sure that the primary search gets done as thoroughly as it deserves to get done. Right. Um, so it's a loaded question. Like it's a, it, it's just, it's funny. It's just funny because it's, we've been going back and forth about this for a, a solid couple years now about what exactly does the rescue do at a fire, um, for us. And, and, and honestly, man, like we, we haven't come up with a really good answer yet um yeah but so. i think odd that like in some places the the rescue was technically like they they you know or well like i think in pga for a while it was like you know it was a third due special service is how they they labeled it so it could yeah. be a rescue it could be a truck but if the rescue somehow arrived first in order then you know they started assuming the and it just like like you said there was truck stuff to do like you know you're, you're gonna tell a, a ladder company that they're not gonna do their ladder work now because they have to assume yeah. whatever it loves to you know whatever stuff you put on your flow sheet you know yeah, so. yeah and, well and you guys are the utility player i mean you had you have you're bringing everything with you right so the only thing you yeah. don't bring is water but you have everything else you know so um let yeah me i mean you know like Oh, sorry. Yeah. I mean, like the, you're right. Like we don't have water and, and we don't really have a ladder complement. Um, you know, so, but, but yeah, like, and, and that is how a lot of our incident commanders will use us as kind of like a, you know, what needs to be, what, you know, what needs to be filled in, you yeah. know, like, do we need more lines in service? Do we, last night was a good example. Like we had, uh, I don't know, five or six cars on fire on the third floor deck of a parking garage at Dulles airport. Like, you know, as the rescue company, like the, there's only so much to search in a concrete parking garage, you know? So like we, we did a quick search just because, you know, it's what we do, but we, we were put getting lines in service. Um, so yeah, you're right. It is yeah, kind of a sure. utility. Which I think is, which I think is commonplace for, for the rescue company probably across the board, but 
Let me ask you this. You mentioned Mayday Monday, right? So, um, you know, obviously you guys, uh, you know, protecting our own is just incredibly important. And, and quite often uh, guys already in the building are making the attempt to make that rescue of a downed firefighter. Um, you made totally. a comment, you made a comment before about a, a recent Mayday you guys were involved with. And I have to think as the rescue company on most fire grounds, you guys typically are the ones that get uh, requested uh, on top of the writ uh, if there's a separate writ company uh, to go get. Um, would you, you want to jump in on that a little bit? I mean, you know, uh, talk about that concept a little bit with you and, and your vision of, of uh, Mayday, your Mayday Monday, and then what that does for you? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, it, I, I don't think it could be understated that uh, you know, like for me, one of the biggest things with, with Mayday training is, you know, that stress inoculation training um, and, and making the making our training environment in the firehouse progressively more stressful um, to be able to deal with those those situations because it is super high stress, you know, for the, a Mayday gets transmitted on the fire ground. So, um, you know, that's kind of the model I like to go with. I, I like the, uh, you know, the crawl, walk, run kind of thing when it comes to Mayday, you know, like we might one Monday, we might be making connections with our, uh, you know, buddy breather hoses with with nothing on at all. And then, you know, after we do that 15 times, like now we're, you know, putting our gear on, we're putting our, you know, breathing air. And after we do that 15 times, now we're blacked out. After the, after we do that 15 times, you know, we introduce a new problem. So um, just constantly building on, on the skills, making it more stressful, uh, making it more difficult, um, ultimately to get, you know, get people in the mindset that, you know, really you have to be able to expect and deal with anything when a mayday happens. Um, so, yeah, I mean, luckily, you know, like the two weeks ago, I think it was like, um, you know, I was working over on the, the shift after me on the rescue and like we ended up as the mayday company, um, or, or I should say transmitting a mayday. Um, you know, we got in a little bit of a tight spot. The, you know, the guys were able to get themselves out due to some absolutely brilliant thinking decision making like I, I can't even say i can't say enough about what those guys did right um you know, and, and it was a direct result of training and and being in stressful environments in the training training environment so what so you were the officer of the like who who trent did you have to did, was it you that had to ultimately put that across the radio or no, it was, it was the guy, a, fire, a fireman riding in the back, um, riding behind our driver. So, uh, you know, occupied garden apartment fire, um, wind driven, like I've never seen before, like the, you know, the wind was howling. Um, and I, I mean, I, I can legitimately say that we were way behind the eight ball when we got there, um, you know, but uh, yeah, like those guys, um, you know, we ended up having a, a roof collapse and those, those guys exit got cut off by fire. Um, and collapse, um, you know, and, and the firemen called the mayday. Um, and, and man, like listening to the radio traffic afterwards, it was as calm as can be. It was concise. It was, you know, clear, like it, it was just, you know, for me, like, obviously I, I hate, you know, we were all in a little bit of a tight spot. I hate, you know, the fact that mayday happened in general, but like, I can't, it, it was just a shining moment. And like, this is why we do what we do. You know, this, the fact that this turned out well was not an accident, you know, and um, th this happened, you know, successfully for the same reasons that people don't like us, you know, because we're training constantly because we have a super high standard for ourselves. Um, but ultimately, like, that's why those guys didn't get hurt, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago. So, uh, yeah, man. Yeah, it was, a, it was I, a doozy. I love what you just said. 
you said the fact that it turned out okay was no accident. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think more times than not, we go, whoa, that was a close one. Right? Like, and, and meaning, meaning that the outcome was okay and successful because we had a bunch of luck on our side. Yeah. And maybe, maybe we uh, then look at that and say, man, maybe we haven't given our people enough or we need to do more. Right. But the sure. fact that you said the fact that it turned out okay was no accident is a very strong statement because uh, I don't know. You like to think that everybody would be able to say that about an incident like that. Uh, but I know I, just my own department and myself, there's been a couple of times where that was close, you know, like, yeah. and, and it, and it could have went really sideways and it didn't. Sure. And we were fortunate, but you know, it's just, it's, it's a comfort in knowing that how important your training and how dialed in your people are to be able to, um, to be able to mitigate a problem that arises on the fire ground and, and puts them in a perilous position to get out of it based upon their experience and knowledge and training is just huge. Uh, totally, man. And, and, and really, and, and I do think to an extent, like there are times when luck does kind of come. Oh, in. Uh, well, like, no you, doubt. I agree with that. I agree. But in, in this case, just like in this particular mayday, um, like it was mitigated because solely of the, the quick thinking and decision making of, you know, the guy driving me and the guy riding behind him. Right. Um, you know, like I got the, the guy driving was, you know, uh, he the stairwell was cut off by collapse from the roof collapse. Um, he had no other way out. And he told the fireman, like, hey, man, call the mayday. And as he was calling the mayday, like he had the, the wherewithal to take his bar and beat out the spindles of the third floor uh, railing. Um, and he made a hole just big enough for both of them to be able to dive down onto the second floor landing. Like, you know, all of this stuff is going on. Like it's, you know, they're, they've got unchecked fire above them. They've got a collapse above them. Like they need to get out. And like the fact that, you know, the, the fireman was able to call the mayday as clearly and concisely as he did. And the driver, you know, was just constantly making that forward progress to get themselves out of that situation was just like, I, I don't know. I, I just can't say enough good things about it. No, I, I get that, man. And, 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 and a couple of things that I think about, um, you know, uh, one, I don't think uh, a lot of departments talk about Mayday enough. Um, I think that that's something that needs to be constantly drilled. And it doesn't mean that you have to convert harnesses and do all these crazy fucking carries. It means educate your people how to call a Mayday, when to call a Mayday. Typically, sure. most Maydays are called too late into the into the whatever the problem is. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing, too, is we got to teach our people to fight for fight like hell. You know, you yeah. got to you got to rescue yourself. And uh, and, you know, these are these are those little things that, um, you know, I don't think are talked about enough. I think we get too carried away when we do mayday training about harnesses and removals and creating a two to one pull divide, like all this bullshit that, like, frankly, you know, if it's needed, you're going to have extra companies there that are going to deploy those type of things. I mean, you know, and and you got to talk about self-rescue. You got to talk about when to call the mayday, recognizing oh, yeah. why you need the mayday, things like that. Um, I yep. think we just need to do a better job of. Well, and totally. We don't let people fail in training because that is like some kind of like written in a book somewhere. It says you can't do that. But I, re- I remember being out west at a conference and one of the instructors was talking about their they did writ fast whatever nomenclature you want to use but they did a drill where it was designed to push the companies to their edge and 
Like they were going to have to make a choice of whether they were going to continue to search for a down firefighter and bump themselves off on the, um, on the rip pack or give up. And then they like, they trapped them in there just to see like if they would have the wherewithal to say like, Holy shit, we can't get out of here. And now we're in a jam. And like, everybody thought they were insane for doing it. Some people were like, this is screwed up. You're putting us in the wrong headspace, but like it can happen. Mm-hmm. And I think all the time, it's always, I, I, I've, I've, shouldn't say all the time, but I've seen a lot of congratulations, guys, you did it. And it's a scripted, it's a scripted emergency. It's a scripted drill, you know? And, and like what you touched on, Jeremy, about the guys got to fight, like fighting comes when you lose. Like you get your ass kicked a couple times and you either learn how to fight better or you stay out of conflicts. So two things can happen from that. And I just, I, I think people got to kind of push the realism a little bit. So I, no, I'm sorry. No, yeah, I get totally. It. I get it. No, you're there. You're there. So, what's uh, what's next for you? I mean, you you you're involved. I mean, obviously, really dialed into the job. Um, you know, you got uh, you got plenty of years left for you. Uh, yes, so, sir. But I know you're doing some external training too, um, which is important to you, right? Sharing the sharing your experience and knowledge. You want to talk about that at all? Oh yeah, man. Like I, uh, you know, I super into the rope thing. Like we talked about, I'm. Uh, I do some teaching with uh, Rescue 2 Training, which is run by uh, Kelly Byrne, who's a, a squad driver, rescue squad driver in, in D.C. Um, just like the guy is easily the smartest rope guy like I've ever come across, probably like I, I'll probably ever come across. And so working with him is really cool. Um, he's, you know, he's developed a lot of uh, new techniques that, uh, you know, a lot of people are using for elevator hoistway rescues, um, really delving into using ladder trucks for rope rescue. Um, and just in general, uh, using all of the, you know, the plethora of new rope equipment that's out there um, that people are buying, you know, without necessarily the training to behind it. So, yeah, you know, I'm teaching, I'm teaching with him and, and Rescue 2 training and, and it's, it's a blast. Like, I, I love it. Um, like, I really, I, I really strongly believe in uh, the message that, you know, Kelly and, and Rescue 2 training is putting out there. So, um, you know, I, I have a good time with it. Yeah. And I got to think, I mean, you're surrounding yourself with people on the instructor staff that are passionate about it. Like you are, and then you guys aren't going out and teaching, you know, it's not like teaching forcible entry where every fireman just signs up for the class. It's, you know, these are people that are there to truly learn this discipline. Yeah, man. Like it's a blast. Like we, uh, we just got back from teaching a fire department in Clarksville, Tennessee, about 45 minutes West of Nashville um, you know, and these guys just formed a, a brand new heavy rescue squad on May 1st and, you know, wanted some rope training and, you know, just to be able to, to go in there with, uh, Kelly and, uh, another gentleman from, from DC as well, um, and teach those guys, like just, just to teach with other guys that are as into it as I am. Um, and to be able to give that message to, you know, these students in the class who are, are, they want to be super good at it. They're super motivated. Like it was just all around a blast, um, you know, to have, you know, the, that level of motivation and interest yeah. in this, man, it was just, it was so much fun. So how do you, so I got to ask then, I mean, you opened the door here. So how did I want to start my, uh, a new rescue company? I want to, I want to, or I have an existing rescue, but we're just doing your standard extrication stuff, elevator rescue, shit like that. But I want to get into ropes. I want to start uh, dabbling in uh, some of the disciplines of heavy rescue or, or tech rescue. 
you got some recommendations. I mean, I'm sure some people that are going to listen to this be like, oh yeah, we've toyed with this or, and I've seen two departments that take on a, oh, we're going to start a trench. Uh, you know, we got a trailer on a grant and uh, we got panels and uh, ventilation right. and struts. So we're, we're a trench team now. Um, right. Maybe you can hit on some of that because I, I just, there's, you know, how important and some of the factors that people have to really consider before they start opening up a discipline like this. Uh, absolutely, man. I mean, long-term, you got to think about equipment needs and obviously cost, um, you know, and then, like people are the most important part of that equation, you know, like long-term, how are you, <laughs> you know, like what's your plan to get a large amount of people trained up to an initial, you know, operational level, uh, and then even farther than that to the technician level. And then once everybody's there, how do you maintain their skills, you know, yeah. on a yearly basis? Um, so, you know, like what I would say is obviously for most of us, um, you know, the state fire training organizations are, are pretty much where we're all going to get that initial training. Um, but what I would say to, to team leaders out there and, and guys making these decisions, man, like seek out the, you know, some of these training companies that are out there now, you know, obviously like everything, there's a dichotomy there, right? Like you got to be careful because everyone, you know, everyone's got something to sell, right? But there are a lot of really good, um, you know, companies that are teaching tech rescue stuff, collapse, trench, rope, um, <clears throat> swift water stuff, if that's what yeah. you're into as well. Um, and and they're, the beauty of, of taking training with these companies is they're not bound by the curriculum of a state fire training organization. That's where you're going to get the latest and greatest, the cutting edge, you know, the, the current best practice in all of these disciplines. So what, how, what's the time frame? So like Jeremy's brought up this, like this, this point. So now you want to get into like, let's say ropes, how long, like, what's the time frame for somebody to expect to get them to operational to technician status, just in something like rope rescue, you're looking at a couple months, a year. Yeah, man. I mean, at least for us, it, it's totally dependent on when the state offers those classes. Um, they've been as soon as back to back. Um, and they've been as far apart as a year, you know, a year apart from each other. Um, the danger of doing it super quick is like doing anything super quick. You know, you got, if you get a guy that goes from, you know, nothing, the awareness level to technician level in rope rescue, let's say within two months time, you know, like you, you've got a guy that just learned how to effectively tie his shoes, you know, that's out there building high lines now, you know, so like, like anything, you want to give it some time to, to let things marinate and, you know, put into practice what you learned and, uh, you know, like get your, get a good solid foundation at your current level, uh, you know, before you move on. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, it's uh, it's, it is a hell of a burden for a department and on its people. Um, and I think, you know, you said it the best it's people, um, you know, departments can get equipment and, and have the latest and greatest. Uh, but you got to have the people that are disciplined and dialed in to be able to, effectively perform these disciplines and uh you know i i just i think that's got to be one of the biggest factors in in all of it so and i think that's why too you see a lot of these disciplines across the country are, are basically done by a regional team because you can pull mm -hmm. from a large source of people uh and and some of the best people from different areas and put them together to to you know put together a good teams. so totally
So what's uh, what's this? So you got the private training, which is fun, and I, I hope that continues for you and you guys get busier and busier as COVID is uh, starting to uh, wind down. But um, what's next for you? I mean, is is the rescue where it is, or do you have uh, ambitions to uh, as your career moves on, or or who knows? Uh, you know, man, like ninety eight percent of the time, I just want to be a really good rescue guy, a good Love rescue that. like. I just want to, I want to do that. Um, you know, I think, I think we could all agree that we have our days that we're super frustrated with how things are going. You know, why, why can't these policies advance forward? Why can't we get this done? Whatever. And, you know, you start getting these crazy thoughts like, Oh, maybe I'll go ride a ladder truck or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, man, like I just, I want to do the rescue thing like that. Awesome. That I really do feel like that, you know, that's where my home is and and, and what I'm, I'd like to think I'm decent at it, but uh, you know, like I just want to hone in on that for, for however long I can. Very cool, so. man. Well, I mean, I wish you all the success in the world. Uh, we're approaching that time uh, that we tend to uh, start to wrap, but I mean, yeah, what, right a great, on. what a great, what's that? I said, yeah, right on, man. Like, I, I'm, yeah, I'm at the I just, uh, you know, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, we, we got everything we, uh, that you wanted to share. And I, I'll tell you, it was a fantastic conversation tonight. Um, I really enjoyed you and getting to know you through this. Um, you know, I, I, I keep notes as we go. And, uh, you had a couple of good one liners tonight that I enjoyed. Um, spin my gears was a couple times, by the way, tonight. And, uh, yeah. my other one, cup of coffee hasn't even brewed yet. That was, it's probably one of my favorites, man. <laughs> It's probably yeah, one of my I, I can't uh, I can't claim ownership to that. Like I, I was, understand. Uh, I understand. Yeah, I had a, a guy in the firehouse giving a new guy a hard time one day, and I'm like, did, did he just? Is he said that? Like that's yeah, a, that's a good one. Have man. To remember that. Yeah. I will. Uh, I'll cite you, and and then you can cite Tim, and uh, and then we'll 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 own the custody that way for sure. But uh, brother, thank you for joining us tonight, man. Um, great awesome. conversation. We truly appreciate it, Rob. Well done, sir. Well done. You know, the one thing I was disappointed with, I, I, and I forgot to ask, was just your transition when you got promoted to lieutenant and you were assigned on an engine for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was. I was. That, that was that cool, was too, man. Right like, there, you're like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what, man? Like, the I, I'll always have love for the engine company, right? Like, they are the backbone of the fire service. Nothing happens without them. They put the um, fire and, out. And doing... Yeah. And doing that part of thing, you know, part of the, part of the fire department was fun, you know, like it, it was a good time, but like I, I had to, I had to get back to the rescue thing. Like that's just too much time invested and too much interest and passion in it to, to not do that. So. Oh yeah. I knew that was going to be short lived. So <laughs> yeah, man. Yep. I love it. Um, Rob, any last words, brother, before we, uh, before we wrap, I'm happy. Uh, it was able to come out here with us uh, on the zoom tonight. This is awesome. I've, and I'm happy that we finally got you to pop your zoom cherry after this whole pandemic, I think. <laughs> Late in the pandemic, but here I am, you know, zoom yeah. pro. well, I wish you uh, nothing but the best success in the world for you and uh, a solid career. And um, it's just, it's always nice to meet guys that uh, you know, that uh, I enjoy talking with because you're dialed in and you get it. And um that's what this is about. And we got to spread that love and, and spread that feeling. So it's good, pal. I appreciate it, Jason, for being here tonight. I really do. Um, for all of our listeners and so on, uh, where can they find you? If they have any questions, they want to reach out. Are you an open book? Can people find you? Oh, totally, man. Like, I, you know, I'm on, I'm a, I'm a millennial, you know, so I'm on the, the <laughs> Facebook. I'm, a, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Um, you know, I, no crazy names, just my name. Like, that's how you can find me. So, 
yeah, that's it, man. Like I, I'm, I love talking shop with whoever and like, I, I'd be happy to do that. I love it, man. Thank you. And uh, promote the company one more time that you're doing work with now that you're working with. It's a uh, rescue Two training uh, okay. you know, that you could find, you know, quick Google search. There's a website as well. There's a Facebook page. Um, yep. So if you're, uh, if you ever have some interest in uh, getting dialed in on some, some modern rope stuff like that, that's the way to go for sure. I love it, man. Thank you. And again, thank, thank you, you. Yeah. Don't disappear. We're going to, we're going to cut out in a minute, but uh, stay on with us. But uh, to everybody watching and listening, thank you so much for uh, again, hopping in tonight, Lieutenant Jason Illowit out of Loudoun County, Virginia, brother. Thank you for being here tonight. What a great conversation. And uh, if you don't get fired up and excited about the job after conversations like this, you better go check it again because uh, you know, the, the love and the passion comes through and uh, there's a lot to be said for that. So Keep the job real. Enjoy it. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Robert, thanks for being here again. Also, pal, always a pleasure. No problem. Thanks, man. Guys, take care. Thanks for watching. Hey, guys, thanks for tuning in this week and listening to another episode on the National Fire Radio podcast channels. We truly appreciate the support. We thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to our interviews, our roundtables, our discussions. It means the world. Like, share, leave a comment. The more we engage, the more we can grow and push the word out and keep making this job better.